Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week on the show, we are talking with Patrick Ledden. And Patrick is an interesting guy. Uh, it was really fun to sit down and talk with him. I've actually known Patrick for about seven years or so, I think it is. We worked together when we were at Franklin Covey. And as you're going to learn, He's got a really fascinating background. Patrick served as a U.S. Army master parachutist, infantry. He was an army ranger, right? You know those badass guys? Like, he was one of them. But then after that, he turned in the parachute and the combat boots for suit and tie, and he worked at KPMG. Then he eventually started a consulting business with his wife, which he runs today. He's also a speaker, a consultant, a professor at Vanderbilt and an author. This week on the show, we are primarily talking to him about his new book, which is called The Five-Week Leadership Challenge. And this book is a hands-on, actionable book with bite-sized lessons from Patrick, ranging from what he learned on the battlefield to the boardroom. We also talk about other things. We talk about relationships, marriage, families, balance, careers, learning, growth. It's this wide-ranging, curious conversation, which this podcast is all about. So listen, as you start those holiday plans and you're gathered around family, first and foremost, we want you to be safe. We hope that 
you are well and you get some much needed relaxation over the holidays. The past year or two have been a doozy and it's been a challenge. I hope that this show, this podcast can create some bit of enjoyment, distraction, camaraderie. If it has, let me know what you think. Reach out, tell me. Chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Love to hear from you. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Ad-free episodes, guest access, and more. And tell a family member, tell a friend, subscribe to Smart People Podcast. All right, let's get into it. We're talking to Patrick Ledden about his new book, The Five-Week Leadership Challenge, 35 Action Steps to Become the Leader You Are Meant to Be. Enjoy. Let's get started. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I was looking forward to this. I remember, you know, when I first started at Covey, I remember doing an event with you. And I remembered um, you were, I, I, I was like getting to know you and you were telling me you were a ranger and you used to parachute out of like airplanes and stuff. And I remember going, that seems like a far cry from what we're doing here. I have to figure out how that transition happened. And even I don't know the story. So I'm interested to like learn about how you got here and now you're this successful author and all that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, At some point in your life, all of a sudden you become, tell me the story type. Yeah. Of and I've kind of hit that point, I guess, in life. But all of us have stories, obviously. Uh, but mine started out of, out of high school. I actually joined the National Guard and uh, went to basic training like when I was 18. And I was kind of good at it. I, hmm. They told me to turn left. I turned left. They told me to shut up. I shut up. They told, you know, they told me to do the things and I just kind of followed the instructions. And so when I went off to college, I thought, well, I'll just kind of keep following this path for a while. And I ended up going into the military uh, active duty full time after college and spent about six and a half years in service. I was um, in the infantry and I went to ranger school, like you mentioned. I went to airborne school one summer in college, actually. I went to a jump master school. I went to a unit called the 82nd Airborne Division and had a chance to be a platoon leader and a, and a company executive officer and a, and a company commander in the 82nd, which was a pretty neat experience. It's funny because all the people that I served with back in the quote unquote day, some of them have done some amazing things. It's, I was telling somebody the other day that when I was a company executive officer, which is like the second in charge of a, about a 120 person unit, um, I was a first lieutenant and my battalion commander, who was a you know, few ranks above me for sure, but he would also sign off on my evaluations, you know, that type of role um, is currently the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin. So it's no like, you, yeah, you watch what other people do in your career and go, okay, well, I'm doing all right, I guess, but they're doing really well. Um, yeah, then, yeah, that's true. I, <laughs> I uh, you know, you surround yourself with people. It's really interesting. You know that. And then yeah. I went to uh, KPMG consulting after I came out of the military. Mm. I did KPMG for a few years and was a project uh, leader there and was working on predominantly uh, one of two streams of work. One was more financial analysis type of work, but it quickly morphed, the project I was on specifically kind of started to morph more into like human capital, people development type of work. And that just really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And then this is back in the day when monster.com started showing up and mm -hmm. everybody was putting their resume, folks who aren't familiar, it's an online recruitment um, tool or sourcing tool, staffing place. And it was kind of new at the, in the day. So I went on monster.com and I put my resume out there just because that's what people were doing. And um, sure enough, I got a note from Franklin Covey and they hired me away from, uh, from KPMG. So I went to work when was Franklin that? Covey. That would have been 2001. Yeah, so oh, okay. 20, years, 20 okay. years ago now. 
Okay. In fact, I was working in, at Franklin Covey on 9-11. I remember that specific, obviously, wow. like most of us would. Um, so, yeah, I worked at Franklin Covey for just a really short period of time, Chris, actually, because I kept coming home to messages from a former client of mine who said he had work that he wanted me to do. And I talked to my friends at KPMG, and they're like, yeah, if you want to do it, do it. And the problem was I just didn't feel like I had the bandwidth to do it. Mm -hmm. So I told them, thanks, but no thanks. But over the course of dinner one night with my wife, I obviously mentioned this guy and this project he wanted done. And one day I came home from work, and my wife said, remember that conversation you mentioned the other day? I said, yeah. She goes, well, I reached out to him, and I told him I could do it because she could. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, he hired her. So then ah. I would come home. I come home from my Franklin Covey job, and in the evenings until like one o'clock in the morning, we're working on this other project. Wow. And this other project was essentially a large organization that had identified a pool of high potential um, employees in the organization. They wanted to invest and send them off to a graduate program, graduate studies program, and they were trying to find the right school to partner with. So that was mm. what the project was. And they had identified what we're interested in, in with the school, but we're not sure which one, and we'd like a third party to look. So that's what mm. the project was. So over the course of doing that project in the evenings, it got to a point where I was like, this is like a, a second job. Like literally, right. like some people listening to Smart might not know what I mean. They're doing a, a side hustle type of thing. Yeah. And um, so one day we're sitting on the couch and I said to my wife, I said, I think we really have a business here because mm. this thing is growing and we need to make a decision. Are we going to go all in? In fact, the couch that we were sitting on, I don't ever want to get rid of that couch. It sits in the room just adjacent to where I'm at right now. And that's the couch where the conversation happened. Yeah. So I went to Franklin Covey and I said, I feel bad. I felt bad. I mean, I'd only been there six months or so. Right. But this thing's really taking off. And I think I'm going to get on this train and ride it for a while. And they were so kind to me at the time because they said, well, how about we be your second client? So then, no way. Yeah. So Franklin Covey actually became a client of our company and our revenues grew right away, huh. which was nice to have, you know, somebody going from salary to revenue, essentially. Right. But uh, so we worked with, with Covey and then 11 years later, after o having a few offices that we'd opened and a really great team of people and a great client list, somebody came along and offered to buy our company from us. And it was like uh -huh. one of those stories you have where it's like you start a business above your garage and it right. goes into something that people want to buy. And then I um, said to them, great, we'd love to sell it. Well, I was kind of like, really? Okay, what's that like? And you know, eventually we sold the business to them. But I carved out the relationship with Franklin Covey, and I said I'd like to keep that relationship and uh, sell it as part of the contract. So then I went over to Franklin Covey full-time for a few years. So that's right. how I ended up having such a long run with them. Gotcha. And then um, about eight years ago, I decided, I think I'll put that doctorate to use that I kind of picked up along the way. Right. And I, I applied to get a job at Vanderbilt. I remember and, that. Uh, I've been teaching. This is my, I, I taught a couple summers, and then I've just started my, I believe, seventh full year as a professor of Andy. Nice. So a couple of things to unpack there. I mean, I definitely want to spend some time early on because you can tell the nice narrative, but like this podcast started out of the fear of, you know, when I'm 21, what do I want to be when I'm 40 and how do I get there? And then the narrative looking backwards, the famous Steve Jobs quote, like, I think it does work, but it's scary when you're early on. So first of all, when you were, you know, 21, 22, 23, whatever it was, you're jumping out of planes. You're, you said a lot of military terms that, frankly, I'm unfamiliar with. Did you have any sense? Do you remember at that age being like, what do I want to do with my life? Or, or were you just like, this is, this is fun? Or, you know, wh what was it at that point? Well, sadly, I think that the truth be told, I probably had no sense of what I want to do with my life at all mm -hmm. until I hit that point at about 17 where I was like, okay, what are you going to do now when you get out of high school? I mean, probably right. it was just in that mindset. 
um, right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent. Because quite frankly, nobody ever asked me, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah. Uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and it just wasn't a conversation that came up that often. So when I was 17, I was kind of going, well, you know, I could go to college, but there's really no way to pay for college. Right. And a buddy of mine joined the National Guard. So I was like, what do, they, what do you do that? And he said, well, it pays for college. I'm like, that sounds good. Mm. So, I mean, there was a little bit of like no planning at all, quite frankly, sure. to be honest. Yeah. Um, because you're exactly right, Chris. The, the resume or the story going in arrears sounds so great. Mm -hmm. I mean, other people might be like, it didn't sound that great, but whatever. I mean, it's my story, right? <laughs> it's and your we can story. Make, we you can make it. It sound, we can make it sound pretty good. But I'll right. also tell students when students will be like, hey, Professor Legan, can I grab a cup of coffee? And we're sitting down and they're like, I looked at your profile on LinkedIn. How did you get your career? I want a career exactly. like that type of thing. And it's like, I, I, I tell them, oh, dude, it's, it's all the white space on the resume is where the lessons happen. Yeah. That's all a good one. You know, these are just the highlights. These are the high points. Yeah. You know, and thankfully, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with like names like Brene Brown and other people who have made it okay to be a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Um, allows us to tell the rest of the story, which I think is really what helps people out. So when you said, tell me about yourself. Yeah, all I did is let me water ski over the top of the stuff, not go sure. down into like the dark, deep waters where it was a mess. Uh, yeah, I but of those. I actually think that's really important. I, I loved what you said there about the lessons happen in the white space. I just heard not too long ago, it was this, hey, if you're interviewing for a company and you feel like your resume doesn't make sense or there's a lot of gaps, here's how to handle it. And their advice was essentially, Focus on the pivot points. Like I went from finance to sales to consulting to L&D. Like it's a weird, weird background. But all the pivot points were just that and they were pivotal. And I think they made me better at the one after it. And so to your point, I, I don't think that gets said enough. It's like, does it tell a linear story? Whereas today I find employers, leaders, uh, movers and shakers want to know, can you adapt? Can you work through change? Can you be better in the next thing than you are today? And that happens with these pivots, like you were talking you know, about. I, I agree. And, and the funny thing is, I think that 30 years since I started my career, now, I've been married 30 years, so I know we got married right after college. So 30 years out there in the workforce, the reality is that my career probably boils down to about 10, 15 decisions. Mm. Those moments, like the moment on the couch saying, are we going to go all in on the business or whatever it might be, or the moment where I said, how am I going to pay for college? I mean, those are the moments where it's like, those are the points and you don't know when they're going to come. Mm. Now that can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Uh, that could sound great. Like, okay, I'm going to have decision points, but then you go, what if I get them wrong? So what would you say? I mean, look, you deal with this in students. That's why it's a cool conversation. Yeah. What about when they say, yeah, I'll be faced with them, but I don't have that guiding North star. And it sounds like you didn't necessarily either. And it still seemingly worked out. Well, I don't think that there's any one route that is the route. So I think that the nice part, like you mentioned about kind of bouncing around doing different things in your career or my career, although I can tell it like a linear story, there are different things that I ebbed and flowed in and maybe you kind of hit a cul-de-sac, you come back out and go a different direction really quick. So I don't think that there is a, one route. I do think that you probably, if there were parallel universes, you could see other versions of yourself that probably had really, you know, uh, successful careers or experiences in life. But I have this, I'm going to steal something from a friend of mine. There's this guy uh, named Jason Hodel. He's the CEO of Skullcandy. So people know the headphone company, Skullcandy. Oh, yeah. And I've known Jason for about 30 years. He actually, interesting guy. He went to, um, he went to West Point. Uh, he ended up in the military right next to me. Because Hodel and Ledden, you know, kind of close uh -huh. to the alphabet, we ended up in the same platoon in, in, in office, infantry officer school. 
and we ended up being ranger buddies at, in ranger school. So mm. I credit him helping me get through ranger school, and I think it's the other way around as well. Jason's career after the military, he went into um, he went to Wharton and studied finance. Then he went to New York and got investment banking, and that was that's a, quite a grind of a type of job. Yeah. And then he made a pivot where he had played volleyball in college. And he really was into beach volleyball and somebody came along to him and said, Hey, would you run the international beach volleyball association? Wow. And he's like, I love volleyball. I like the idea of leading. I'll do that. And he did it for a while. And I was really like, you know, this is probably not the best fit for me and kind of had to step back and go in a new direction. And, and you would look at it right now and go, wow, look at his career. It's, it's all these amazing spots, um, which he's had a great career. But one thing he says to my students when he talks to them sometimes is he says, yeah, you can be micro wrong, but you need to be macro right. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. In other words, your day-to-day -day life is full of lots of decisions, but then there's a couple big decisions you got to kind of make sure you get, you make the make them right. And what he would say, for example, is go into an industry that's a growing industry would be an example mm -hmm. of a macro decision, mm -hmm. as opposed to when you make a macro decision, you know, follow not not that you don't want to follow your passion, but following your passion into a dead end industry yep. isn't particularly helpful, right? So the yep. idea of like that's a macro decision, but in the day to day, we make all sorts of decisions. So I think at the end of the day, I look at it and say, you know, there's lots of different paths that you could follow in life, and you probably people would probably end up in really great places, just different places. Mm -hmm. And the reality, I like the idea of Jason is, you know, there's a few decisions you make in life and you try to do your best you can to make sure that you make those big decisions well. Yeah, that's such a good point. And even if you make some of the micro ones or even general macro wrong. So for example, I, I, I remember when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after finance, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try something I'm really passionate about, which was golf. So I said, I'm going to go try and be a club pro. And I went, and I worked at a golf course, right? Here's why the macro decision of that was wrong. Because <laughs> I went from making six figures to making like $15 an hour. Yeah. And in an industry, if money was an issue, all these things, and was I even good enough? But it was only about a six month thing. And it was so that when I get to 80 or 90, I don't go, I wonder if I would have tried that thing out. You know what I mean? So even if it was technically not a great outcome, I would never go back and not want to try that you know what i mean yeah i think there's a point where you realize you explore the path and then if you realize okay this is not the right path the ability and the the willingness to go okay i'm gonna turn around and go a different direction let me give you an example of my own career chris so i when i came out of the army i went through this recruiting firm it was this kind of the top headhunter of people coming out of the military and i got a job with a, a, a pharmaceutical company and it was the job was down in Texas and I was going to do pharmaceutical sales mm -hmm. and um, seemed like a good enough job. So I'm going to go do that. And I went down to Texas to start the job and I went down without my wife and then two kids at the time. And, uh, and their son had just been born. I get down there and I meet my boss and I'm kind of settled into a residence in or some type of temporary living space. And about a week into the job, I'm like, okay, so how does it work for my wife and kids to come down? And he's yeah. like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, like relocation, how do I get them down here? He's like, well, we gave you a plane ticket. You figure out the rest of it. And there were a couple wow. of the warning signs where I'm like, oh, this is not the right place to be, or at least not the right person to work with. Because, you know, a lot of times our organizations are boiled down to the relationship with your boss. Right. And that was kind of what I saw there. So at that point, it was kind of like, okay, do I double down on this situation? Or is it just clearly not a good path? And right. I backed out and I left and I went back and we lived at my in-laws for a little while and I didn't have a job. And I mean, all that type of thing 
before I landed the gig at KPMG. So hmm. it isn't like, you know, you tell the narrative, like, oh, I left the army and I went to KPMG. It's like, oh, let me tell you about this little thing that actually happened. Yeah. That and- probably wouldn't come up in most conversations. But, and I probably 20 years ago didn't want to talk about that thing. Really? It's like, well, because it's kind of like I made this mistake and I don't, you know, but now, yeah. now it's like, how do people learn if I don't talk about that mistake? That's what I was going to say. You know, I, I think that's so important because so much of our life is spent in those mistakes. Like whether it be, this is what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you in the narrative you told, and by the way, if people are wondering like, why are we discussing this? I find it fascinating. You know, army ranger, you were just saying you didn't have a clue what you wanted to do. It wasn't like you were like, here's where I'm going to go. Army ranger kind of go through KPMG consulting, kind of stumble into Covey, but then realized maybe I have a business and then start a business, not with the goal of exiting, just starting with your wife. And then you do exit. And I mean, it's a, it's a path. And then where you are today, you know, best-selling author, new book hits Wall Street bestseller list. Like, you know, so on the CV, you go like, man, made it. Professor, yeah. great school, made it, da, 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 talking, influencing thousands, tens of thousands. But it's a unique path. That's why I'm asking. So where along the way, or let me, let me rephrase this. What would you say to people who feel like they're on a generally good path? They feel like, okay, I'm leveraging some skills and talents. But a good amount of their time is spent in struggle or perhaps even they don't like it. You know, what is your stance on doing something maybe you you don't love, you don't always like, but you're doing it because of other reasons, other goals, things like that? Well, I think they call it work for a reason. It's work, <laughs> right? So every day is not Pollyanna high five and everybody in the hallway. And there's, there's days or periods of time that you're going to do things that you don't want to do because you see yourself going towards something bigger. And I mean, Stephen Covey said that, um, you know, you, you will, you will um, forego, you know, short time benefits for long-term goals. I mm. totally destroyed the quote, but you get the idea. Right? Good enough. Um, so he calls it short-term sacrifices for long-term goals. Hey. And that, that is true. I mean, the idea of, you know, going to work and, and dreading the Monday morning meeting for two months. Sometimes you have to do that in order to get through and something else will come along um, within the job or, you know, it's going to change or it's a project you're on or whatever. So I'm not a big advocate to go, well, day one, when you don't like it, pull the plug, move on to the next thing, because guess what? That's going to repeat itself over and over and over. And all of a sudden you're going to start to realize there's a pattern going on in your life where you're constantly pulling the plug. Yeah. And, and then you're looking for other people to blame for that. Um, but I do, I also think there are times when you clearly realize, okay, this is not going in the right direction. Mm. And to me, there are, it isn't like, you don't just look inward and decide what you want to be and then scream it out to the world. And everybody has to, you know, then, um, you know, do what you want them, what you, you know, react in a way because based upon who you say you are type of thing, I think there's a bit of you look inward and think about your purpose and your meaning, but you're also looking outward and seeing what the needs are in the world. And I think those two things combine to um, to help you decide when am I on the right path and when am I not on the right path for yourself. So I, I think the bottom line is, Chris, you know, work is tough sometimes. Work is a struggle sometimes. Um, sometimes in the process of getting to whatever goal you set for yourself, you're going to have to do things. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. So, yeah, there were times there were times in the military where I absolutely couldn't stand my job for a while. And then there's other times, you know, six months later, what was going really great. And That's I'm what I was going to add. I endured the tough time to get to the better time. And now a quick word from one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Marketing Today with Alan Hart. 
If you enjoy listening to all the smart folks and smart people podcast, and you have an interest in marketing, we think that you'll love Marketing Today with Alan Hart. Marketing Today with Alan Hart podcast is focused on interviewing top marketers behind the brands and campaigns we see every day. Marketing Today is used at top business schools and business education programs around the world. With over 280 episodes, you'll find interviews with the CMOs of Peloton, MasterCard, GE, Pepsi, and many more. Listen to top global marketing thought leaders, including bestseller authors like Seth Godin. Search all of these on their website or subscribe to their newsletter to be alerted with a new interview each week. You can hear for yourself by going to marketingtodaypodcast.com. Again, that's marketingtodaypodcast.com. And now back to the episode. Yeah, that's why I was thinking, well, this is an interesting take on it. I think it makes a lot of sense, but I wonder how much of it was influenced by, I can't imagine training to be a ranger is like a, a great day every day. It's like, yeah, I want to wake up and get yelled at and get, be in pain and all those things. You know, well, did you that? Start, do you, you think started with the uh, wake up and we didn't get really sleep? So <laughs> there you go. Right. So like right there, I'm out like sleep on my value list right here at top. So I'm out. Do you think that um, or how much of an impact do you think that has had on your life? That discipline, that grind? I don't know anything about it. It's a foreign world, but I'd imagine you could be like in a meeting you don't want to be in and go, well, this is nothing in compared to, you know what I did earlier. There is a Does bit of me, there, no, there is a bit of me that when I'm in a bad meeting or something and I feel mm -hmm. like, oh, this stinks, I just think about what somebody else is going through that day. Like yeah. somebody else is showing up for ranger school that day and, and kind of explain a little bit because you said there were some terms that I mentioned and I apologize for that, that, that may not have made sense. But ranger school is essentially uh, for the conventional military. So you think about like the conventional army, um, it's probably the most um, elite and challenging uh, course that we have. There's, yep. there's obviously things like Navy SEALs or people working special operations more generally. Um, that's more like specialized type of things. So if you mm -hmm. were to put ranger school against SEAL training, I mean, clearly there could be a huge debate about that. But if you think about ranger school in general, it tends to be more of an in mass type of thing. A larger group will go through. Mm -hmm. and when I went through, it was um, 68 days in duration was the, the minimum stay <laughs> at the <laughs> hotel. And uh, it consisted of four different phases. Each phase was approximately two weeks or so. And there was one phase in Georgia, kind of at Fort Benning. It was supposed to be typical North American terrain. Then there was uh, two weeks out in Fort Bliss, Texas, which was a desert phase. Then there were two weeks in Dahlonega, Georgia, which was mountain phase. And then there was two weeks down in Eglin Air Force Base down in Florida in the Panhandle, which was swamp phase. So they're kind of moving you through four geographic kind of settings. And each location, you spend the majority of your time awake. Uh, you get less than four hours sleep per night. Um, back when I went through, we got one meal a day. And it was a, it was a high calorie meal. It was one of those meals ready to eat type of meals. So it was one. delicious. Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> and uh, you get one. And you spend about 17 hours a day on average with your backpack, your rucksack on your back, carrying it around with a lot of weight in it. And the whole thing is like to, it stresses you physically, it stresses you mentally because you have a, um, everybody has a leadership role they have to perform and your leadership roles are evaluated. So if at the end of each phase, if you didn't pass the leadership role, you get sent back through that phase. So they call people recycled, they keep getting recycled. Mm -hmm. um, people will spend up to a year trying to get through that school. So it's, wow. it's pretty high that way. Injuries will get you knocked out and we yeah. do some parachute jumps and some other things just inherently that are dangerous. So you can get injured that way. 
Um, the one you don't want to have is what they call lack of motivation, which basically means you just quit. That, that kind of follows you. Uh, really? But also, like the day you show up to Ranger School, they do your physical fitness test. And it's push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, and then a run. And everybody who shows up, you know, they know they're, you don't just show up one day like you're walking through Walmart and you go, I think I'm going to go to Ranger School today. Right. I mean, you, you're preparing for this thing, right? All right. But the number of people that don't make it through that physical fitness test is was phenomenal. I was shocked by it because my wife that day um, took myself and two other guys that morning and dropped us off at Ranger School. And about two hours later, those other two guys went home. Really? And they're in really good shape. But the thing is, the instructors will, they don't want to count all your push-ups. Right. So you know, you do, you need to do 35 push-ups. You better do a hundred type of thing. Oh, or they do, they do some mental things there where they'll say something like, okay, the next um, thing is to run. And they won't tell you how far or how fast. I've you have heard to that. Yeah. How far? So, yeah. That is evil. Yeah. yeah. So stuff like that, you know, kind of, kind of causes people to get knocked out. And yeah, Chris, I was, I was lucky prepared. I wasn't more prepared than most people, but I made it through in 68 days. My son-in-law actually went to ranger school. Uh, and he graduated a few years ago. He he got he got injured at one point and, got, and recycled, but he made it through, which is huge. But I know other people who had didn't make it through at all, which is they got injured or something happened to them. So it's a, it's a, it's about a fifty percent or more attrition rate, mm. and uh, and it's just right place, right time. Sometimes. Do you think natural traits, you know, characteristics that benefited you that you always had that got you through it? I think, yeah, I think there probably are some. Uh, but doesn't mean that if you had these, if you don't have these traits, you wouldn't get through, right? Sure. So for me personally, I have a high tolerance for ambiguity. Mm. I'm pretty comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So if they say run, I'll just run. I know <laughs> eventually they'll tell me to stop. Uh, I have a high, I have a high level of, um, I have a high level of being able to deal with crap sometimes mm -hmm. you know yeah. Like, yeah so if you're like you're a person who don't, doesn't suffer fools if you like yeah. can't handle well then you probably don't want to go there because right you know, they're going to be some people that have just position or authority in that school over you and you they're the ones in the position type of thing mm -hmm. um but i also i'm also pretty good i always have been pretty good at goal setting and moving forward on things so although like i mentioned earlier i didn't really have a lot of direction growing up necessarily once mm -hmm. i kind of started to find the path or saw something i wanted to achieve i quickly realized i was kind of good at that so mm -hmm. setting a goal setting a target going after it accomplishing it and then saying what's next yeah has always been something that's been a good trait for me but like all of us what's our strength sometimes is also our achilles heal because mm. sometimes I don't enjoy the ride so much because I'm so focused on what's the next thing. Yeah. That's one I struggle with. I see it a lot in, in where I work and things like that. I don't know. I, we just interviewed the um, former CEO of HubSpot and I, or not, I'm sorry, not HubSpot of a uh, StubHub. And I remember her saying, you know, I'm always negotiating against someone. And I just think that oftentimes that's someone for me, maybe for you is myself. It's like, okay, uh, is this serving my professional goal, my personal goal, my family's goals? Like it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think in today's society, when there's so much information, we are aware now of maybe more that we should focus on. And what I mean by that is like my dad, I have these theoretical conversations and he's like, dude, when I was 25, I just wanted to make sure we could eat. Like, you know, I was poor growing up. Like 
I, all this heady intellectual stuff you're worried about. I never thought about that. And guess what? My life was great. I mean, that's, that's to an extent where he goes. And I'm like, wow, I think we suffer from sometimes too much uh, awareness. Like, is that a thing? You know what I mean? Well, I know I, I'm not, I'm not a huge advocate of all the generations work that's out there. I mean, there's some mm -hmm. things I think are interesting, but it's hard to say, you know, 74 million people behave a certain way, but I think there are some, <laughs> some trends and things we can look Definitely. at. It's, it's a data point. There's plenty of other data points about somebody that might be uh, more informative, right? Whether it's race, yeah. race ethnicity, economic level, uh, socioeconomic level or, or education or whatever it might be. But I do think there is one thing that is, is interesting to me because of all that information, their expectations have changed, mm -hmm. I think, sizably to some extent. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's easy for somebody to say, well, when I was 25 years old, I knew that I needed to earn the right and I shouldn't ask for X, Y, Z. And I, and I would be like, yeah, but if you were 25 years old and you could see that other 25 year olds were doing other things and moving around and jumping jobs and changing and getting opportunity, you're telling me you'd be content. Of That's course not. Right. Yeah. So it isn't like we don't have the desire. We just didn't have the path or at least know those paths even existed. Yeah. So instead of like saying, well, you know, 25 year olds don't get it. It's like, sometimes I don't get it. Right. I need to realize that at 52 that, yeah. you know, that, so I think that that's really informing and being around students is always helpful to me too, to kind of yeah. watch their careers and see what they're doing. Um, and I think that really does, does um, kind of calibrate you. You know, you mentioned about like your father. It, it's funny when I was younger growing up, so I'm one of five kids. And so there were seven of us in the house and our house, I've looked at it on Zillow. I can tell you exactly what our house was. Our house was 1,159 <laughs> square feet. So it wasn't a very big home by most yeah. standards. It had one bathroom, which is an interesting challenge with seven people. Yeah. And then when I quote unquote made it in life type of thing, when I felt like I made it and our business was doing well, I built a house that was six bedrooms and six bathrooms and uh -huh. lots of lots of square feet. And we were four of us. Yep. And guess what? You didn't need it. It wasn't, yeah, didn't need it. Exactly. <laughs> now we live in a house that's, you know, a third of that size. Yeah. And we're very content with that. So I think that there are like these expectations we set for ourselves that once you get to them, sometimes you're like, it ain't all I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Kind of and uh, the question becomes, okay, what do you do now with it? Or what, what, what actually um, will fulfill you in that regard? So it's kind yeah. of an interesting thing. And you, I'm sure you've had plenty of people on your podcast. You've talked to plenty of people who think that this is the thing they want and then they get it and they go, it's, it's not it. It's empty. Well, it's funny. Actually, you're saying that. I mean, yes, like, of course we talked about it, but, one of the things I struggle with on that note is knowing it isn't enough. Like, I think most humans are destined to repeat that error over and over in their life and then their kids and their kids and their kids. And I can't figure out why. Like, I know this. I've learned it so many times. My first car I bought was $50,000 Infiniti G35 brand new. I was making like $50,000. And I was like, but I really want a car. Within a year, I realized, dumb mistake. Haven't owned a nice car since then. But then sure enough, like we bought this house. I was like, no matter what happens for the rest of my life, I made it. This is my house. Like I earned it. Two years later, I'm like, okay, what's next? Not necessarily what's next, what's bigger, but like, what is the next goal to accomplish? And it just, I, I don't want to think that way, but sometimes I wonder if we're just as humans meant to. There's no way around it. Yeah, you know, Chris, it's it's funny you say that. So I'll tell my students sometimes I'll say, um, 
back in back in earlier years, I'll say the day one more time. Back in the day, <laughs> uh, I sound like I'm 200. Uh, but but back, there was a time where when you were in the car driving along, you were limited to what music or station you know songs you could listen to based upon what stations you could pick up in the area you were in. Mm -hmm. As opposed to now, you know, talk about expectations and you know, demanding to play any song you want at any moment is a completely different expectation. Uh, so back in back in the day when I would be driving along in the car, maybe there's 10 radio stations you could pick up in Chicago or more. So the one of the problems I would run into, and this might relate to what you were just saying, is that I've noticed if there was a song playing, like if I turned to a station and there was a song playing and I liked that song, I mean, like I really liked that song and I would enjoy listening to that song. My natural tendency to be would be to go, what's on the other stations? Uh -huh. And I would go to two or three other stations or more trying to find mm -hmm. another song because there might be a better song out there for me. Yeah. And then what would happen is if you go through five or six or seven or 10 other stations, you go, no, that was the best song. By the time you get back to the best song, it's over or it's you wrapping up. up. Yep. Yep. So that behavior of mine has, has um, haunted me my entire life. I, yeah. I continually do that. I yeah. continue, you know, I've, I've learned to kind of temper it. Because mm -hmm. um, I I realize you know I actually am I do have the ability to think and reason and choose, but yeah. my tendency is to go what else is out there, and yep. you know that might be fine if you're doing it in songs, but really bad if you do it in relationships. Good um, point. Really bad if you're constantly doing it in jobs. Really bad if you know something. You have to figure out like when can you hunt and peck and look for the other songs on the stations, and when but when might you say you know what I picked this song, and this is a great song, and I'm going to dance and sing to it. I, I like that analogy and then how you mentioned it with relationships. I think that's one I remember in, in my early 20s and stuff, just kind of thinking along those lines, like one relationship forever. That seems like a, a, actually a raw deal, not a great sacrifice. Um, but of course, now and having been married for a while and everything, you know, I, I can't imagine the alternative. And I think that um, making that decision and making it and sticking to it and knowing it's a non-negotiable actually takes a large weight off of my shoulders. And, and I think that could be true around a lot of decisions. Like you were saying with career, with external goals is like having that long-term guide can really offset any short-term confusion or struggles or sacrifice you might see. Yeah. I do think though that speaking relationships. So my wife and I, we celebrated 30 years about two weeks ago. Congrats. And, uh, yeah, thanks. It's a big number. And working together and owning a business yeah. and selling a business, yeah. like that's got to be hard. So you want to talk about like the highlights of the resume, like you just went through there, sound great. Let me tell you, it's not, it's, there's, there were lots of hard times. And I think yeah. people need to hear those times too. Yeah. Because they're, they're, in my mind, I think early on in, in our marriage, I kind of decided sticking to the analogy of the radio station, I've picked this song and yep. I'm going to stick to this song. Like yep. I stepped up there. And I said, I made a commitment to something and then that's going to be it. But then I wasn't always nurturing and putting, investing in that relationship. Yep. And that, that comes at a price. And there's mm -hmm. probably people listening to this podcast who didn't expect to tune in and hear that kind of conversation, but they might be dealing with it right now. Right. And, and, I, and I, I write about and I talk about, um, you know, let me tell you about the, the low points in relationship too and how, and I made some really dumb decisions. Yeah. Unfortunately, through grace from her and others that, you know, we're able to recover from those things and move forward. But, yep. you know, committing to somebody, a partner, whomever you might commit to, even a good friend that you might commit to recognize it. It takes it just like it takes watering and feeding. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. And now a quick word from one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Git Abstract. If you're like Chris and I, 
you probably don't have that much time. You don't have that much time to read all the books, to listen to all the podcasts, to watch all the videos. So we have a solution for you. Get Abstract. Get Abstract finds, rates, and summarizes the top business books, articles, and video talks into 10-minute abstracts to help people make better decisions in business and their private lives. Get Abstract offers over 22,000 text and audio summaries in areas such as leadership, finance, innovation, health and science, and more. Get a free month of Get Abstract by visiting getab.li/smart. That's getab.li/smart. G E T A B.li/smart. And now back to the episode. Now, I, I appreciate that, and I agree, and, and you mentioned your writing, and I want to get into that. It's just, as you were talking about this, I uh, the last thing I'll say on kind of making those commitments and reaping the rewards, I've got two young kids, they're six and three, and there's been times, literally, where I'm like, this is, I mean, this is impossible. Like, through a pandemic, I mean, my, my, my six-year-old, his first day of kindergarten, you know, it was going to be virtual and they're wearing masks and my three-year-old had to be home. And now every cough you have to, I mean, I, I had to shove a swab up his nose last week. Cause we thought it was COVID. I mean, it's crazy stuff. And I remember talking to my dad and he said, you know, yeah, it's hard. And there's things like that. He goes, but easily that as I, you know, now he's retired and stuff. The best part of my life is getting to come have dinner with you, your kids, things like that. And you just kind of, you realize like, you know, one, be able to enjoy the moment, but two, what are the long-term benefits you're going to reap, you know, rewards you're going to reap for the hard work you put in now? Same thing as being a ranger, you know, it's like, I'm going to go through these two months, uh, and what am I going to reap for it? Or I'm going to build this business and I'm going to work, I'm going to come home and work at night. And what am I going to get from it? It's kind of the theme here, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting too. I mean, the amount of, the amount of, reaping i've done from two months i mean it's 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 ridiculous I yeah, mean, right you ask about range school because it's it's it's, it's kind of like that was two months uh, right. when i was 22 uh yeah. but but you're right that it's kind of lo- the law of the harvest type of thing in certain regards and we don't always yeah. know what's going to grow you know you mentioned chris um your dad you mentioned his name a couple times and i think it's yeah. really critical and i didn't always recognize the importance of this but i do now and i have over the last probably 15 years or so my dad's 90 and, and, and I have some conversations with him that I never would have had with him, mm-hmm. uh, which are really interesting conversations. So I would encourage everybody to, you know, whether it's a father or a father figure or an aunt, uncle, mom, good friend, whomever, you know, there's some people who have been further down the path than you and they can kind of put things in perspective. And I've yeah. learned to kind of value that. I actually, years ago, um, you're familiar with Franklin Covey. They have the five choices to extraordinary productivity. Oh yeah, and and when they launched the five choices, I got a call. Actually, the five choices is what caused me to sell my business, which is kind of an interesting thing. Wow! So I, got call, I got a call from Franklin Covey, and they said we're getting right, right, getting ready to launch this new program, which is kind of our, for simplicity's sake, you know, our our, our newest version of historically our time management work. So it's time to talk about like it's not just a time management challenge, it's a decision, energy, attention management. That's the challenge people have to deal with. We're launching this new program. And we need somebody to kind of go out and be the face of it to some places. And I got, I said, okay, what are the places? <laughs> and they li- sent me a list of 175 cities. And they said, you pick which ones you want. If you ever wow. get that offer in life, folks, I'm telling you, take it. So take that's, it. I, yeah. So I took that. I took the offer and 
our daughter, our youngest, our oldest had just started college, but our youngest was in eighth grade. So my wife and I and we only have two, our, our, our youngest, our son, and my wife and I and our son, we left the country for like three months. And we had our business at that point. And I came wow. back from that trip around the winter holidays. And I was talking to a former um, boss of mine from KPMG who had since left and gone to another organization. And he was talking to me about, we were just kind of catching up, you know, net, you know networking, check-in discussion. And um, he said, wait a minute, you've been gone for three months? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and your employees didn't quit? And I said, no. And he said, your clients didn't quit? And I said, no. He's like, you want to talk to my boss? Because <laughs> we're looking to acquire <laughs> somebody. But the reason I mention all that is because in the launching of the five weeks, or excuse me, the five choices um, to extraordinary productivity, they have a section in there about thinking about the roles in your life. Maybe you remember this, like thinking about the roles in your life and identifying what extraordinary would look like in those roles. Definitely. And, you know, you're going to go out and teach something. So you probably need to invest some time doing it and understanding it. And I went through the process. I took the circle that they said, divided up like a pie, labeled the um, roles in your life that are kind of the most critical roles right now, five or so. And then assess where you stand. Are you doing a normal job? Are you underperforming? Are you overperforming? What are you doing? And I wrote down son, S-O-N. And at this time, I'm about 41, maybe. And I thought, how am I doing as a son? And I gave myself somewhere between underperforming and normal. I mean, if you were to call my parents at the time and you say, you know, is Patrick a good son? They'd be like, yeah, he's a good son. He calls periodically, you know, he checks in or whatever, or routinely probably. But then if you like dig into it, if I'm honest with myself, I'm like, well, what are those conversations like? What's the weather? Right. <laughs> what's going on in Chicago? Let me tell you topical. what's going on where we live. Yeah. yeah, very, very topical type of things. And they're very almost, um, you could talk to a stranger on a train about. And I decided, you know, I'm going to double down on this one. So I go off on launching that program for Franklin Covey. And I start calling my parents and asking them questions about, our kids are dealing with this. How would you handle it? And it was just never a com type of conversation we had because at 17, I basically joined the military in my mind and I was kind of gone. Yeah. And, um, and when I came back from the three-month trip overseas, I was, at a I was at the airport in Dallas and I was talking to one of my brothers and he said, you need to come home. And I said, why? What's going on? He said, mom's sick. I said, well, she'd been sick for a while. I said, um, how about I, I'm going to go back to, to Louisville, um, which is where I was living at the time. And then my wife and I will drive up over the weekend. He's like, no, no, you need to come home right now. You know, you're not understanding. Yeah. And you know, when you have those situations where they say like somebody is dying, but they're waiting for the last person to show up. Wow. Yeah. I was the last person to show up and I wow. saw my mom that night and about two hours later she passed. And I remember just sitting there and I'd gone to a hotel. We, we visited my mom and I was going back down to Chicago. So we just saw her that night and I stayed at a hotel or going back from Chicago, staying in a hotel, got a call at two o'clock in the morning and said, mom passed away. And I remember just sitting there thinking to myself in the darkness, how glad I was that I invested in that relationship, that I took that exercise for real. Fast forward a few days, we're at the, we're at the funeral. After the funeral, we go back to my dad. It is now my dad's house, right? Yeah. It was their home together. And if you've ever, people listening, I'm sure they've experienced this, where you go to a funeral and then you go back to the home and it just, everything just feels awkward. You're eating like cold sandwiches and right. making small talk, but clearly someone literally is missing. And it was that yep. type of thing. And I remember I looked at my wife and I said, I'm so glad that I did that exercise and thought about the roles in my life and really doubled down on one. And she looked at me, Jamie, my wife, Jamie looked at me and she said, you're still a son. And I was like, Oh, Whoa. I'm a son. And I look across the room and there's my dad and my dad described my father. Um, he is, my dad's about five, six, 
and he's a five six can whoop ass. It's <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> you know, every morning, he come, every, day, every day he come back home after you know work doing his job, and he's got five kids all that probably misbehaved, and he was going to bring them all back into control again. You know, he's just kind of that type of personality. Yeah. So, and my dad's also the kind of guy who, historically, if I said to my dad, "I won the lottery." I want to buy you a new house or a new car. He'd be the guy who'd go, I got a house. I got a car. I don't need anything. You know, he just kind of has that kind of keep it a distance personality. And I walked up to him and I said, uh, hey, dad, uh, I travel a lot for work. Any any interest in going on a business trip with me? And then I kind of like was waiting, defensively waiting for him to go, why would I want to do that? If I want to go somewhere, I'd go. And he said, where are you going? And I was like, pull my calendar out real quick. And I'm like, I'm going to Topeka, Kansas next week. He's like, all right, I'll go with you. Really? Yeah, and I watched I watched the arc of my dad's story change over the last. My mom passed away in 2011, so like the past 10 years. Sure. Um, he happens to be a twin, so he's 90 and he's a twin. This smart people podcast. So my dad's 90 yep. and he's a twin. That means he has a 90 year old twin, his sister. <laughs> and um, and she says in many ways, because of the pressure of work, and now he's in retirement years, and you know, and having cared for my mom and her ailing health for so many years, he's slowly kind of in a way kind of decompressing through all of that. And he's, uh, mm. he's become a much softer version of himself. So he's really wow. an interesting guy to engage with in conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. I think, you know, it, it's actually, it embodies a lot of uh, why I love this podcast too, right? It's not, the goal isn't always just to talk about, I want, we're going to talk about your book, talk about leadership, talk about the topic, but it's like, there's people out there I find it so fascinating, you know, accomplished, uh, thoughtful people dealing with similar things. And I just think we live in a time where we can connect on those things, reflect on how they impact our lives and then change. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the key that I know you and I have a big focus on is like, and then change. And so you hear those things that might spark that. And I think it's important on that note. Um, I know we're, we've got about 10 minutes left and I do want to get into this, this book you wrote. Um, it's called the, the five week leadership challenge, 35 action steps to become the leader you were meant to be. One of the reasons I want to talk to you about it, not just because I know you and I, I love your story and I know your experience, but I'm also curious, you know, you've dedicated, you could tell us, but what, two, two decades of your life to kind of being in organizations and things like that. Is that fair? Yes. You've seen it all. Okay. You've worked for, you've done work with one of the top leadership companies in the world and Covey. I have to imagine at some point you were like, most things on leadership have been written. So I'm interested from your perspective, what made you go, this is what I need to say, I want to say, and knowing the challenge ahead, decide to put it in a book, put your stamp on it and move forward. Well, I want to respond to that one comment you made about most books have been written or things have been talked about. Uh, I do agree with that. I actually wrote a book years ago um, that's more of a fable or a leadership story. And in that story, I called the story Oliver's Spot. And Oliver, actually, his last name is Stanton, which was the name of one of my professors that I really liked. So I kind of kept it in there. But Oliver's Spot nice. is the name of a bookstore in the book. And there's a leader who's struggling with some team performance issues. And she walks into the store and meets the proprietor, Oliver Stanton. And he actually says to her, he says, yeah, there's a lot of, she asked about employee engagement. He said, yeah, there's a lot of written about employee engagement but maybe you'll just benefit from a conversation because a lot of these things say the same thing. So I even like had that premise in there in the, in the whole story. Oh, nice. Okay. He doesn't, he doesn't sell her one book at all. He actually just talks uh. to her about leadership is what the book is about. So this particular one, you know, you're right. Uh, there's, there's been a lot written about leadership. I actually was talking to somebody the other day about 
we know from you know, scripture references through history, if you look at you know, biblical references or, or other things, you know, the idea of nothing new under the sun. I think there's a, definitely, um, we've talked about to excess about a lot of things around leadership. The problem isn't that we don't know it or we can't have access to it. Just sometimes we don't do it very well. Right. Uh, sometimes we keep looking for the next opportunity woman that is sitting in front of us, like we were just talking about. Sometimes yep. we don't want to have the conversation we know we need to have, even though we know we need to have it. And we've been told how to have this performance conversation with somebody. Sometimes we've been told at nauseum about importance of setting goals or how to do it. We still don't do it. We were taught by kindergarten how to interact with people and like listen to them and share and be, you know, so we know all these things. The question becomes sometimes it doesn't sink in. So mm. what I decided to do in this book is because I have, I think I've had an, at least in my opinion, a, a fairly interesting career. I've had exposure, not just things I've done, but just some of the people I've been around and what I've watched them do. So I wrote the book in a, in a narrative um, setup where every day for those 35 action steps, every day you pull the book open and you read two or three page story about something around leadership that's in a framework that I use. And then you think about your own story and you answer some questions. So it's very workbook-ish in that regard. Right. And what, what I really try to make it be is, uh, what I try to th think about it is, is the book contains stories. People relate to stories. The book is written in a um, very digestible way in that it's two or three, um, you know, two or three pages of reading, 10 minutes a day. The book is a process. It's not just an event. You don't just read it through from cover to cover right away. You should be taking your time to read it, whether it's 35 days or 35 weeks, just working your way through it. And then, but most importantly, it's relevant because as I say in the book and I tell people, it's, hey, my stories are just, they're the vehicle to teach the idea, but you're sure. answering the questions as you're writing your story. And that's kind of where I've landed with this idea of like, use, use my story to write your story. So hmm. like I'll I've had some, crazy experiences like sharing the stage with the Ice Iceland's prime minister mm. and talking about, we spoke to an audience of 500 people together. Here's what I learned when I watched her. Right. Mm. Or um, I talk about in there, like in the military, I'll tell some military stories, like jumping out of a plane at two o'clock in the morning and landing in the trees. What do you do in that moment type of thing? Mm. But then I also tell stories like I pulled in the garage and my wife was standing there and things weren't going well. Mm -hmm. What do we do in that moment? So it's not all, it's not all case study where it's like, Things were kind of going like this. Then they, I got my hand up, but you know, things are kind of at the status quo level. Then a change happened and performance dipped. And then guess what? We all ended up on top of the mountain together. Right. It's not that at all. It's, 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 it's fairly real. And I say fairly real, not that I was like purposely guarding or not sharing something. It's just sure. like, I'm just being objective about when you look at it and go, yeah, there was more you could have told there or more you could have told there, whatever. But each right. is, each is a, a story where I'm just trying to encourage people to think about themselves. And I, I actually, love that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, no, go for it. I was actually, um, the way I came into writing this story uh, or this book was I was actually in China one time and I showed up in China to, um, to train some people on something. And then there was an event they were doing later on that week. And it was like a big event in a big ballroom and a hotel in Beijing. And they were going to have several hundred people in the room. Business people were going to come to this event. And there was literally the headliner of the event was a speaker that we all would know. Most people would know the name if I said the person's name. He was going to lead this presentation that day. And I was kind of the warm-up act. And nobody goes to see the warm-up act, right? That's right. And, I, and I was envisioning like there's this emails flying around, you know, Beijing cyberspace saying, you know, come see so-and-so, author of this, that, and the other. And then at the very bottom in small font, it may have said, and Dr. Patrick Ledner or something like right. that. Right. 
And um, he shows up the day before the event and he says to me, yeah, I think I'd like to do like 20 minutes. I'd like you to do two hours. Yeah. And I was like, what? And I was like, what? And he was very convincing. So the next thing I know, I'm back at my hotel room preparing to do two hours. Wow. And uh, thinking in my head, nobody's coming to see me. Right. Right. <laughs> type of thing. So at that point, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're signed up to do two hours. You say, okay, to the guy, which maybe I shouldn't have, but I did. Right. I'm sitting in my hotel room preparing. I'm thinking, what am I going to tell these people from two hours? And I decided I'm just going to tell them some leadership stories and tie mm. them together into a narrative that I think would make sense. And that's and I, where this yeah, came. I step up on the stage, finish the thing. After the event's over, he and I are jumping in a car to go someplace else in town. And he said to me, where do you get all the stories? And I was like, well, what stories? I'm just, you know, I'm just telling some things. And yeah. for whatever reason, I've become decent, probably survival tactic of nothing else, but pretty decent at telling a story with a point. Right. right? And having people go midway through it, go, oh, I can see where he's going with this. And yeah. then, then it becomes less about, let me tell you about my story. It's just more of, I mean, we use story throughout history to, to you know, to, to, to tell our history, to tell our story, whether it's around like, a campfire in the past or, or a projector bulb in a conference room these days, but we sit around sure. the fire and we tell stories. And that's kind of what I try to dial into. I'd love to know with the, the last few minutes here, you know, 35 action steps and it's hard, right? It's hard. You can't boil down your 20 years of experience. You can't boil down the hundreds and hundreds of organizations you've been in the leaders you've worked with, but like, what are one or two action steps you feel like don't get enough coverage, but you believe are critical to leadership well the, so the 35 action steps are broken down into five categories okay. and each category has seven so i roughly wrote it as if you would read one day per day for seven for seven days per week or mm -hmm. 35 days over five weeks i really made that sound very complicated one <laughs> day for 35 days over the course of five weeks there you go um, thus the five-week leadership challenge yeah. and i would say that at least I think a couple of key things. The first week I think is really critical because the first week is really just about how do you think as a leader? Mm -hmm. So it talks about a number of key things, including the reality that you're not going to be able to control everything and you get things done with and through other people and you've got to check your ego. And for me, one of the critical ones kind of getting back to what we talked about earlier is you got to also enjoy the journey and the journey is going to have its ups and downs and ebb and flow. And, you know, you're not going to love every minute of it. And I use an example of my hike and my son and I hiked Kilimanjaro and how hiking that mountain was a great lesson for me about enjoying the journey because being the task oriented person I am, I'm thinking how far, how much further to the top of this thing and how many more days of hiking and how far are we going tomorrow? And what's the altitude? And, you know, give me all the things I can put in my list so I can check these things off. And our guide Rashid who had been to the top of the mountain 300 times, <laughs> 300 times the top of this mountain basically kept telling me, chill out, enjoy the journey. Right. Wow. He's an awesome guy. And, and to me, that was like a lesson of, that I thought was important for some people who may be a little bit too task-oriented. So I would say the, the first seven days are really critical as far as um, you know, getting your head on straight as a leader. And then I think there's, there's, you know, I would be remiss to say, well, they aren't all important to varying degrees. But when I look through some of the other ones, I can tell you the ones that, that resonated with a lot of people. There's one in there about, I call it address elephants. And the idea is that... Um, you know, we all know in organizations, you probably know in your world too, that there's, there's an elephant in the room, something that needs to be addressed. It could be a performance issue. It could be a lack of resources issue. It could be many things, a customer problem, whatever it might be. And we're all just kind of dancing around the subject. And I tell a story in that one about an issue that like that, that happened with one of our employees in the company that I owned and I completely ignored it. 
I, for whatever reason, I pulled that chicken switch and didn't deal with the issue. And mm-hmm. I give some reasons why we deal, we do that sometimes, and then kind of challenge the leaders that day to leader that day to think about what's something in your midst that you know is an, a baby elephant that's growing. Yeah. And if you don't address it, it's going to become a fourteen thousand pound pachyderm roaming the hallways. And yeah. uh, and, and and so I talked about that day about things about it's your job to address these things, mm. so even if you don't want to do it. Too bad it's your job to deal with this issue, or um, you know small things become big things. Or the idea that um, you can't address an elephant in the room if you don't know what right even looks like. Mm. So sometimes you have to invest the time to learn what it's supposed to be so you can figure out when it's not that thing. And just sure. challenging them to think about. So that's an example of a day. And that one really seems to resonate with people because I think a lot of us know of these issues. But I do think one challenge we often have with these elephants, for example, is we'll sit there and say, oh, yeah, there's an elephant at work right now that needs to be addressed. And so-and-so and so-and-so better get to addressing it. Right, right. And what I really challenge you to think about is don't point to somebody else to address it. What can you do? to get this thing moving in the right direction. So yeah, I different lessons it. like that. The, the, at the end of the day, people go through uh, five Ps. I am a former infantry guy, so I keep things very simple. So the first week, the mindset week is about perspective. What's your perspective as a leader? The second week is about purpose. What's your purpose as a leader? What impact do you wanna make? The third week is around priorities. How do you set goals for yourself and with and through other people? Then plans, how do you actually create plans to accomplish those goals? And then lastly, performance. And I talk about some things that you can do to increase the level of engagement of your people and also to make sure that you kind of are in the right spot at the right time to help them out. So that's I love the, the idea. I was going to say, I love the framework. I love the narrative. I love the action orientation. Just as we get, you know, as you talk about leadership, I think today people more overwhelmed than ever before. And it's like, I can't read through, you know, troves of, uh, like you said, case studies and things like that. I know it exists, but hey, I just got promoted to a leadership role. I need to know what to do. Or I just went from peer to leader. How do I handle that? Right? All these things. And the simplicity uh, doesn't mean it's simple. So yeah. again, the book is The Five-Week Leadership Challenge, 35 Action Steps to Become the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Patrick, um, you know, of course, we're going to link to the book and things like that. But where else are you? I know you're big on LinkedIn. You've got your own podcast. Tell the audience where they can find you and learn more. Sure. So yeah, I am pretty... Pretty um, well. I guess I would say well followed. That sounds silly. Yeah, I know. I let it go. read my stuff. Yeah. So you can always you know follow me on LinkedIn. I put out an article every week. You can sign up for our newsletter um, at leadinggroup.com, and we send out a newsletter every week. In the newsletter, you get a a video of me, so you can see my smiling face every week talking about something. You get an article from me. You get uh, a tool. We send out tools every week, so we create little tools. Sometimes they're infographics, sometimes they're forms, but we've been doing that for a long time. And then lastly, you get a podcast. We do a podcast that comes out every Wednesday where we talk to lots of different people's, people's, people about leadership. And they range from Major League Baseball players to CEOs of companies to um, authors of books and, and 13-year-old mountain climbers. So I try there to talk to a lot of different people because I think all of us can teach each other things about leadership. And then if you go to uh, the five-week leadership challenge, it's the number five-weekleadershipchallenge.com. There you can find, read more about the book. And there's also an assessment that you can take on that. Uh, site for free and we'll send you a free uh, email with some ideas about what you can do one of the things we found over the course of time chris is that because we've been putting out content for a long time i'm kind of a content machine i like content Uh i like models i like ideas i like you know those type of things so we've been putting out these things we're at the point we probably have on our own blog you know 500 articles three or four hundred tools lots of 100 plus podcast episodes all these type of things 
So one thing that we like to do with when you take that assessment is we make some recommendations. Are here are the ones we think you might want to listen to or read, uh, type of thing. Yeah. Nice. Well, Patrick, again, thank you so much. Congratulations on the book success, and I really appreciate you joining the show. Thanks, brother. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Best of luck Absolutely. to you and everybody in your audience. Thank you. That was Patrick Ledin. I hope you enjoyed his interview, his book, The Five-Week Leadership Challenge, 35 Action Steps to Become the Leader You Were Meant to Be, is available wherever books are sold. All right, we are approaching the end of 2021, so we want to wish you a very happy new year. And if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. We celebrate other holidays, happy holidays. And if you don't celebrate anything, we just... Hope you have a great last 11 days of 2021, and we'll see you in 2022. If you ever want to reach out to the podcast, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you'd like to support Smart People Podcast, head over to Patreon, become a patron at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week and for this year, 2021. But make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.